In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so last week I preached a text that wasn't uh, our selected gospel text for that week. The text I used was from the Gospel of Luke, the story of Zacchaeus. And not preaching from the assigned gospel text is something that was pretty unusual for me, but I did it for good reason. Last week I preached about Zacchaeus because it has a message that the church always needs to be reminded of. The kingdom of God is populated by those people who have repented, not by those people who were considered to be decent. The kingdom of God is full of people who were wretched inside, but they have cried out for forgiveness, not like whitewashed tombs, which are sparkling on the outside, but only death is inside. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to continue that theme, the theme of reminding the church of lessons she should never forget. And I'm going to do it by preaching one of the most visceral stories in the entire New Testament. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 16, starting in the 19th verse. If you don't, I'll I'll go ahead and read it, so just listen. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off at Lazarus' side. He called out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And he called out, And said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you were in anguish. And besides all of this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers." so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they shall repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The story that Luke tells here, the very words that are chosen, are extremely graphic. Words like sores, torment, anguish, flames, dead, poor. These words occur 11 times in 13 verses. The themes of regret and hunger, neglect, fear, hopelessness, thirst, they're all over this story. This story is a real bummer whenever you read it. But this story, actually, it starts in the worst place you can think of, a lonely, starving man. In the middle of the story, it takes place in the place of the dead in Sheol. In the ending of the story, it seems like the opposite of happy. The reason that I say that is because the last word of the story is literally the word dead. A parable with this level of severity. This isn't the way that Jesus usually teaches, though. The parables that come before this, the lost sheep, the coin, the prodigal son... These are serious perils, parables. They're, they're stern even. But none of these parables have the tone and feel of this one. 
So what's going on? Was Jesus having like a bad day and he needed some sleep and he just spouted this off the top of his head? Is the rich man in Lazarus some sort of abnormality in the teaching of Jesus? Or is there something else going on? Something else that isn't hidden from us, but it does require us to look carefully. In order to see what the purpose of the story is, in order to see why Jesus is telling it, we need to ask a few questions. First, to whom is Jesus telling the story, and why does he use a story like this? Second, how does the story of the rich man and Lazarus fit with the other parables around it? What is the message being told in the preceding parables, and how does it fit with the rich man and Lazarus? My hope this morning is that we see the rich man and Lazarus for what it is, not an isolated story full of horrid images meant to scare you. I don't think that's what it is. This is a portion of a much longer conversation where Jesus is using different stories to focus on the same truth. And that truth is this. The religious and political leaders of Israel do not understand what Jesus does because they do not understand who Jesus is. So if I've given you enough time to turn to the 16th chapter of Luke, starting in the 19th verse, we'll jump in and see how the story unfolds. So, on the surface, it seems pretty straightforward. There's a rich man, and he has a lot more food than he could possibly eat, and there's a poor man with practically less than nothing. Eventually, both of these people die, and the poor man goes where all people who died in faith go, to the side of Abraham. But when the rich man dies, he doesn't go there, does he? Instead, he goes to Hades, or as the Jews would have called it, Sheol, the place of the dead. In Hades, the rich man is thirsty, and so he asks Abraham for help. But Abraham says no. Abraham says that in life, the rich man had plenty and Lazarus didn't. So now the roles are switched. And besides, the the distance between them is so great that Lazarus couldn't cross it even if he wanted to. The rich man concedes this point, and he doesn't ask for water anymore. But he does ask Abraham another question. The rich man doesn't want his brothers to end up where he is, so he asks Abraham to send Lazarus to his brothers and warn them. But again, Abraham says no. He says that the rich man's brothers have the words of Moses and the prophets, and their words of warning and instruction are sufficient for his brothers. And then the rich man does something amazing. He tells Abraham he's wrong. The rich man seems to think that it's possible that his brothers won't listen to Moses and the prophets. But if Lazarus goes to them, surely they'll listen to him. Why? The rich man felt that the words of Lazarus would be legitimized by the fact that he had risen from the dead to speak them. But Abraham again says no to this, and he plainly tells the rich man, if his brothers won't hear Moses and the prophets then they wouldn't believe anyone else either. They wouldn't even believe a person who rose from the dead. And then the story ends. Now, I've heard some preach this text. I'm sure you have as well. And many of them seem to be of the opinion that the rich man and Lazarus is a story that's focused on heaven and hell, a story focused on what kind of person goes and what kind of person doesn't. For as real as heaven and hell surely are, I don't think this story is about them. Why? Well, let's look. In the story, the rich man is being punished in Hades, right? But what are the only things we know about him? Well, he's rich, and he didn't share his food with the poor. 
But if this story is here to show me the kind of man that is bound for Hades, someone like the rich man, then why are the specifics of, I don't know, like his character missing? The issues of his heart are missing. His speech, his faith. Why are all the things like that absent from this story? Those character traits would be necessary details if the rich man were here to show us who not to become. What about Lazarus, the guy that's being rewarded? If this were a story about the kind of person who goes to heaven, then Lazarus should be shown as a person of faith, one who's in communion with God, a person who exemplifies the kind of character that God desires, a person who reflects the heart of God. So what qualities does Lazarus reflect? Well, he's poor and he's hungry. He also has some strange medical association with dogs. They're licking his sores. I have no idea what that's about. But other than that, there's no mention of Lazarus' faith, no mention of his love for God, nothing about his repentance or forgiveness, nothing about the good that Lazarus has done, no description of his upright and moral character. There is nothing of a moral quality attributed to Lazarus at all. So if you were to tell a story about the kind of person who receives eternal bliss or the kind of person who receives eternal agony, and you use details like this, here's basically the way the story would sound. Hey, rich people, share your food or it's torment for you. Poor people, you're good because you're hungry. (laughs) But that's not the story that's being told here, right? So if this isn't about heaven and hell, what's this story about? Remember we said that in order to see the story for what it is, we had to ask a few questions. The first question was, to whom is Jesus addressing this parable and why? So look in verse 14 of the same exact chapter. What group of people are mentioned in the first two words? The Pharisees. Okay, we got the who. But why is Jesus telling the Pharisees this type of parable? Well, when Jesus speaks a parable to fishermen, he tells a story with things that has things in it like boats and nets. Jesus speaks of seeds when talking to farmers, sheep when talking to shepherds. When teaching by way of parable, Jesus is using the stuff they know, the stuff that they hold close. So in this parable to the Pharisees, Jesus tells a story, a story of the rich man who is indifferent to the poor. Now why? What connection do the Pharisees have with rich men? Well, verse 14 tells us that the Pharisees were lovers of what? Money. Ah! Okay, so this parable is about money. It's mainly about the hazards of being rich and needing to take care of the poor. And the Pharisees are targeted because they're lovers of money who neglect the poor, Right? Not quite. I don't think the main point of this parable is about money or rich people or poor people. And here's why. The last five verses of today's text are the climax of the story. The last five verses are the apex of the drama Jesus is telling. And these last five verses have absolutely nothing to do with money. Look in verse 27. And he said... And I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead. Quickly, tell me. What, does the, what do these verses have to do with being rich or poor, full or hungry? Nothing. 
These verses aren't focused on money or food at all. They're focused on something entirely different, something that we've yet to discuss. So what is it? What is the apex and focus of the rich man and Lazarus? Well, in order to see the apex of the story, you have to understand the progression of the story. A few chapters before, in the parable of the lost sheep, the Pharisees are angry with Jesus because he was eating with sinners. The Pharisees are disgusted with Jesus, disgusted that he values what seems to be worthless people. But Jesus responds and says, If a shepherd loses a sheep, does he not please the shepherd when he finds the sheep? Doesn't the shepherd search for the sheep so that he can bring the sheep back into the fold? Of course. This is what a shepherd does. It's who a shepherd is. Jesus is telling the Pharisees this is who he is. He is the shepherd of all Israel, the one who is gathering wayward sheep, the one who is bringing them back into the fold. This is why he has come. This is who he is. And if the Pharisees only see scandal when the shepherd gathers the sheep, if they see Jesus as morally compromised because he's calling sinners to repentance, then they don't see Jesus for who he is. They don't see themselves for who they are. Their entire view of reality is upside down and backwards, and they don't even know it. Jesus tells the Pharisees another story, the parable of the prodigal son. In this story, the man's youngest son takes his inheritance and he squanders it. The boy finds himself homeless and starving and about to die, but he remembered his father and that his father was a good father. And maybe, just maybe, his father would let him return home and live out his days as a servant. And so the son does return home, and he is received by the father, but he's not received as a servant. The prodigal son is received with all of the pomp and celebration that the father can possibly muster. Rings are placed on the son's fingers, robes on his shoulder. A feast is held to celebrate the son's return. The father brought him back into his family, not as a servant, but as his own son. Because in this story, that's who the father is. The one who is ready to welcome home a rebellious son with open arms. But in the same story, there's, a, there's an older brother. And he didn't see it the same way the father saw it. As the older brother heard the sounds of singing and rejoicing in the distance, what he heard was injustice. What he saw was the younger brother receiving an unearned reward. How could the father kiss and hug and celebrate such a reckless and degenerate person? It wasn't fair. His worthless brother had squandered everything, and now their father's throwing him a party? But the father responds to his oldest son, Anger, and says, Son, everything that I have is yours. You want one of my goats, man? Take the goat. This feast isn't about condoning your brother's past. This celebration is because I thought he was gone forever. I thought my son was dead. I thought your brother was dead. But he isn't. He's here. He's alive. So how could we not celebrate that? But all the older brother sees is the scandal of the father's rejoicing. The injustice of the younger brother's welcome. The unfairness of being equal in the eyes of the father with such an immoral person as his younger brother. The older brother's righteous indignation and self-centered him, self-centeredness prevented him from seeing the truth. His heart was not like his father's. 
The older brother had lost no sleep when his younger brother left, most likely thinking to himself, good riddance. Thinking his younger brother was dead didn't move him. The sight of his father in mourning evoked no compassion, and the sight of his brother back from the dead only served to harden his heart and further enrage him. With these parables, Jesus is weaving together a storyline. He tells the, par- the Pharisees in the first one that they don't understand. He's not wrong for eating with sinners. That's why he's here. That's who he is. He is the shepherd of Israel gathering the lost sheep. And he tells the Pharisees that they would rejoice over these wayward sheep returning to the Father if they had the heart of the Father. A heart that rejoices when a dead son or daughter returned to the Father. Instead, the Pharisees have the heart like an older brother. A heart which is outraged that the Father sees them as equal to their wayward brother. Equal to someone who they think is beneath them in status. Someone obviously undeserving of the Father's love and attention. And then, Jesus moves into the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and Jesus tells the Pharisees, just as the eldest son should have had the heart of the Father and has no excuse for possessing it, they, the keepers of Moses and the prophets, have no excuse for missing the heart of God either. They are like the rich man and his brothers, blind to anyone beneath them in social status. Why shouldn't they be? They had respectable positions of power and authority because of how irreplaceable they were. The Pharisees were the religious elite of Israel, the keeper of God's word. They knew the words of Moses and the prophets backwards and forwards. So naturally, they had the answers when it came to all of religion's biggest questions, especially when it came to the question of the Messiah. And these self-assured, self-righteous teachers of Israel are so blind, they stare the Messiah himself in the face and they accuse him of impiety for dining with sinners. They scoff at him for welcoming wayward children. And from that evidence, the Pharisees determine that Jesus is a nobody that's up to no good. And they dismiss him as nothing because the Pharisees don't have the heart of the Father and they should. I think the story of the rich man and Lazarus is about having everything you need to see Jesus, to know Jesus, but choosing to blind yourself to Jesus instead. I think this story is about not having the heart of the Father and having no excuse for it. The Pharisees were the keeper of Moses and the prophets, yet they refused to listen to Moses and the prophets. And if the Pharisees refused to listen to them, Even a resurrected Jesus standing before them in the flesh wouldn't convince them. And it didn't. I don't think the rich man and Lazarus is a story that's designed to scare you into obedience. I don't think this is a hellfire and brimstone story at all. I think it's a story about how incredibly close you can be to something and still step over it. How incredibly close you can be to something and still miss it. You have food to spare, and yet you step over a starving man in your front yard. You were the keeper of God's word, but you look God himself in the eyes, and you call him a sinner. God didn't want the Pharisees to miss it. He wanted them to see the beauty and the sweetness of Jesus calling them home too, calling his wayward children to himself. 
And he gave them everything they needed to see him. He made himself as obvious as a starving man lying on their front steps. But they were blind and they looked Jesus in his eyes and rejected what they saw. But guys, we don't have to be blind. You don't have to miss it. As wayward sons and daughters, nothing prevents you from returning to your father. Yes, you've squandered a lot in your life. And no, you don't reserve, deserve the father's love. You don't reserve to, deserve to go back home. None of that is, is, is the case. But remember, your father is good Remember that he will welcome you back home with open arms. He will embrace you as his own son or daughter and celebrate your return. He wants to celebrate with you. He wants to celebrate that you were once dead, but now you're alive. Don't miss it. Praise God that he cares for us when we go missing. And he comes for us when we stray off the path and that he finds us no matter where we are. Praise God that when we come back to him, he doesn't demean us. Instead, he rejoices over us. He celebrates that we, those who were once dead, are alive again. Praise God that we, his wayward children, can find ourselves embraced by the Father and seated at his table. Praise God that he came for us that he will return for us, for his coming, and for his coming again. Amen.